You are listening to MCC Votes and Seats, the podcast series of the Center for Political Science of Matthias Corvinus Collegium. We provide election insights with experts and politicians. Dear listeners, this time we are going to talk about the 2022 Italian general election, which was an early ballot held on the 25th of September to decide upon the makeup of the country's Chamber of Deputies and the Senate of the Republic. In addition, regional election was held in Sicily on the same day. Today, we have the privilege to host Ms. Margherita Saltini, international relations and geopolitical expert from the Foundation Nazione Futura. Margherita, we are rather grateful to you for accepting our invitation. How are you? Hello, Jure Egelton. Thank you for inviting me and participating in this fantastic podcast. Thank you. So let's get it started. An absolute majority of seats in the Italian Parliament's two chambers were won by the centre-right alliance led by Giorgia Meloni's Fratelli d'Italia, Brothers of Italy, a right-wing political group with allegedly radical nationalist roots. Fratelli d'Italia won 26% of the vote amid a record low voter turnout, making Miss Meloni the first likely candidate to become the country's first female prime minister. The other two major parties of the centre-right alliance, Silvio Berlusconi's Forza Italia and Matteo Salvini's Lega, both saw declines in support, polling at about 8% respectively. Former Social Democrat Prime Minister Enrico Letta's Democratic Party received received 19% of the vote, while AVS, Alleanza Verdi e Sinistra, the Greens and Left Alliance managed to pass the 3% threshold, giving the centre-left coalition almost the same outcome as in the previous parliamentary election in 2018. The liberalist, centrist and environmentalist Impegno Civico, Civic Commitment and Più Europa, More Europe, both fell short of getting into the two chambers of the Italian legislation. Although, prior to the ballot, polls for Movimento Cinque Stelle, the five-star movement, prognosed their performance only at around 10%, the party led by former Prime Minister Giuseppe Conta and founded by comedian Beppe Grillo, ended up at 15%. Last but not least, 7% of the electorate chose the centre-left coalition Azione Italia Viva, also known as the Third Pole, Terzo Polo, led by former Minister of Economic Development Carlo Calenda and former Prime Minister Matteo Renz. Before going more into details, it is essential stressing that prior to the elections, the number of parliamentary representatives was reduced to 400 of the Chamber of Deputies and 200 of the Senate from 630 and and 315, respectively. Let's start with the campaign. Ms. Saltini, could you please describe us what were the main messages, programs and slogans of the most important parties running in the ballot, and what were the major dividing lines? It was a very, very interesting campaign. And to start talking about that, I think we have to focus first on the history of these elections because they were extremely, extremely unusual. The elections that took place this year were snap elections. Real elections were supposed to be next year. So they were anticipated and we went to early vote. Plus, we add up that we were coming from the past elections in 2018, where there was no clear majority given by the results of the votes. So we had to create with a lot of fantasy, let's say, coalitions 
that did not last that long and ended up with the last government, which was a government Draghi, which was a big coalition, grande coalition, let's say, sort of political government led by a technical prime minister, Mr. Mario Draghi. And so we had pretty much all the parties that were members of the government with the exception of one Fratelli d'Italia. And that will be quite important afterwards. What we saw, though, is the centre-right, after years they were not united at national level, but united as parties in a coalition at regional and local level. So now they reconstructed their alliance and they showed up to the elections together and united. And that was the main difference that really changed the results in the parliament and also the statistics compared to any other party, because the left at a certain point tried to unite the other forces, most especially the center forces, into a wider coalition, but it failed and it went only with a coalition with the Greens and the extreme left. And because of our electoral system, which is mixed and it's very similar to the Hungarian one, so you have a part of the votes, in Italy it's 30%, they go to the majoritarian system, the MP you choose for your constituency, and the remaining part of the vote is elected by a party list. In Italy you cannot choose, you don't have two ballots, uh, you only have one, so you choose the party and that party goes directly to the candidate of the coalition or of the party for your constituency, for your city, for your region, for your hometown. It's quite technical, but it means that the people cannot choose the person in Italy. They choose directly the party they want to adhere to. And uh, so this is actually a system that creates a more solid majority to those who have a better coalition because you have less divided vote for your side and overall you get more votes from these single candidates of constituencies. So you have a campaign that is based more on the parties and the coalitions rather than on people and MPs and individuals, let's say, that are chosen even independent by the parties. It's more about the party, about the program or about the coalition, if they form one. This resulted into the centre-right united. It managed to focus a lot on the program. So not only the parties that were members of the coalition, they decided their own program, which was very much detailed, but also they sat down for several days and wrote a common program that was the, the base that were like, when we go to government, we will propose this. And it had topics that vary from all sorts of foreign policy to economics, to family-oriented politics and so on. And it was very valid and very strong because it was decided by a coalition that was strong. They existed already for many years in the past. And then it kind of had a natural feeling about it. On the other hand, we have the left, led by its socialist party with extreme left and the Greens, that they chose a campaign that was exclusively focused on attacking the enemy for them, which was the centre-right. So they chose a campaign, even visually, big posters with the head of the leader of the Socialist Party of Partito Democratico, Enrico Letta, and a black side next to him. And the campaign slogan was choose. 
So it was like choose between Europe and Putin or choose between different topics like that. But it was mainly to attack and to make themselves feel like they were the only valid option and democratic and legitimate option for Italy, whereas the other ones were not legitimate enough, not good enough to be chosen. Then we had the a sort of a smaller coalition of the center, both of the leaders, Calenda and uh, Matteo Renzi, were minister or prime minister before for the Socialist Party, and they split in the course of the years, and they united this time, and they were saying, we will offer the third option of vote. We will recreate a sort of a center that is connected to the European family of Renew, they will give an option for the Italians not to vote between centre-right or right and centre-left, left. Finally, there was another protagonist of this election, which was Movimento Cinque Stelle, who was supposed to go to be in a coalition as the previous government before Draghi with the Socialist Party, but because it was the main cause, Movimento Cinque Stelle, of the early elections and of the fall of the Draghi government, the Socialist Party decided not to be in a coalition with them anymore. And they actually, before the elections, they created a new party of members like Minister of Foreign Affairs Di Maio coming from Cinque Stelle and the Socialist Party endorsed them fully saying, oh, you see, this is a legitimate part of the Cinque Stelle that will create a future with us. So Cinque Stelle was doomed to be a party completely losing, uh, that lost lots of members, that would have lost lots of votes, and that was probably going to be, according to what the rhetoric of the left was teaching us, was going to be a residual member of the parliament. In reality, Cinque Stelle conducted a very different campaign, very focused on the south of Italy, and very focused on the subsidies that they voted for in the past. I'm talking about the citizenship revenue, like it gives uh, money to the people that do not work. It's not an unemployment one, though. It's like a, a living uh, subsidy they can have. And because uh, many families, especially in certain regions, they live on these subsidies, this campaign was actually uh, quite liked by a sector of the population. Thank you, Margarita, for the very comprehensive insight. I understand that the election campaign in Italy is more about the parties and coalitions and not about the individual politicians. Uh, so election programs have an important role. But still, the billboards were showing quite simple messages like a choice between good and evil. But was this campaign different in any ways from the previous ones? Were there any new methods used by the political actors to reach out to their electorate? This electoral campaign was quite different because it was done during the summer. In Italy, we never, never, never had an elections in autumn and we never had an electoral campaign during the summer. And this might seem something trivial and a bit fun, but to be honest, it really changed the nature of the campaign because you could do much less events in the city much less congresses and conferences indoors. So it was mainly outdoors and also done in some holiday places because Italians in August, imagine, they go to the mountain, they go to the beach. So that already created a very different vibe to the campaign itself. 
and it uh, made it very crucial the use of internet as well. So we see that some parties like Lega, they did launches of campaigns in a very virtual way. Like you could connect and see the cities uh, uh, lighting up with, uh, with some beliefs of it. The third effect of it was that every party chose one word to represent the campaign. So it was very small and focused. The Ukrainian war kind of tainted it and uh, changed also the nature of the campaign itself, together with all the consequences like the rise of prices. They really changed the vibe. So even though it was summer, it wasn't as light as it could have been in another occasion because all politicians have to face very harsh reality of our local population and national populations that are suffering the consequences of a war that is not too far from us. Yes, and uh, I seem to remember you were here in April during the Hungarian parliamentary elections and the topic of the basic income was also present in the Hungarian campaign. Did you see any more similarities between the two or differences? Yes, it was a very lovely experience to be uh, in Hungary during uh, both the campaign and the elections and to witness uh, that uh, there is a different uh, perception. We were coming also in April, COVID was still quite felt and the consequences on economics of the populations. So obviously that was a, quite a common topic. But let's say that there was a very big commonality in how the opposition or let's say the coalitions of the left tried to use the campaign as only an attack way of showing their ideas. You could find programs and, and prospects on one side, which was more represented by the right. And then on the other side, the entire campaign was based both in Italy and in Hungary on attacks of the other side. And that really changes the perception of the campaign because you can't always defend yourself. But when it comes to confrontation on everyday topics, like the people want to hear, it's very difficult to confront someone that just portrays you like a wrong person, like a wrong politician, like someone who should not be in power just because of lots of stereotypes. Another thing that was quite interesting Both in Hungary and in Italy, we had interferences from abroad, from foreign countries. And that is something that not only happened in Hungary with a big, big campaign at European level against the existing government, but also in Italy. We had some comments, like from the president of the European Commission, von der Leyen, that were really insulting on the nature of the vote. She said that, that whatever happens in the Italian election, she would have the tools to correct it. And that really resonated in Italy, and Italians were quite offended, because no matter what they vote, it's still democracy and it should be respected. And the same from the United States, the current President Biden, he did make some comments about it, And I mean, it really tainted the feeling of the elections and uh, both in Italy and in Hungary, because democracy is the only tool of 
our populations and there shouldn't be any tools from outside correcting what the people want. Talking about foreign interferences, and also you have uh, made a brief reference to the war in Ukraine. So as Italy is an important player in both NATO and the EU, how did the Kremlin's aggression or the inflation and the growing energy prices affect the campaign communication and the election results in Italy? I think the election results showed that the people were much more interested in looking at the consequences of the Ukrainian war in their everyday life than their international positioning. Because from all parties, we had quite a clear position pro-NATO, pro-alliance with the US. Some parties, of course, were less agreeing on the efficiency of the European sanctions. Some parties were more like blindfolded following them, but that's okay. Overall, we saw there was quite an agreement. That, though, was perceived and portrayed very different, especially by the Socialist Party, who, as I said before, chose to use Putin as part of their campaign. But the low results it received, it showed that Italians, they did not believe them and they were very much more interested in the very high prices they receive as energy costs. Not only where Italy was extremely dependent on Russian gas, like uh, Hungary, a bit less on oil than Hungary, but we still had a great 40% dependency that we are trying quickly to change. And this uh, reflected immediately in the uh, inflation and in the cost of energy. We have enterprises and companies that decide to close and not to produce because it's too expensive to do so. And that means unemployment. And that also results in increasingly high prices for food, for everyday objects of life that we need. And of course, on the electricity bills that are skyrocketed and are extremely high. So people are sad and worried and they want to have some solutions to their problem. And that's why they looked at those people who gave them solutions. And those people were in the centre-right and slightly also in the Movimento Cinque Stelle who was suggesting more welfare state. So for some people it was quite reassuring. As for the social and economic concerns and the human factors, it was all represented in the electoral behavior of uh, the Italians. And as mentioned earlier, the lowest voter turnout in the history of the Italian Republic was recorded this time at uh, 63.9%. That is nearly 9 percentage points less than in the 2018 election. What could be the reason for this significant absenteeism? I think in Italy there is a trend of decreasing participation to vote. I think it's a trend that exists in every Western country, but in Italy it's quite significant. We also have to say we were coming from a technically led government by someone, Prime Minister Draghi, who was not a politician. And the fact that we had a prime minister that was not a politician and the fact that even before in the last elections, we did not have a clear turnout of elections and we had lots of mixed coalition that were not lasting, it creates less will in people to participate in the elections. 
Because the common thing was like, what's the point in me voting if then the coalitions change without going back to vote? I find myself led by people I did not even know before, like Prime Minister Conte. Or on the other hand, I see coalitions shifting. What's the point in me voting? So even though there was quite a widespread options of parties, to represent the population, many people felt a bit betrayed by what happened in the last few years. And the fact that they're also not feeling economically great, and we're living a moment of potential recession that is extremely scary, they did not see in some parts of the politics, especially in the Partito Democratico, a valid option. There were also, especially the more left-wing people, they had some extreme left parties that presented themselves to the election. But the fact that we have a limit of percentage to enter the parliament, which is a threshold of 3%, electorates and citizens said, you know what, I kind of support that party, but it would never make it to the parliament, so I'm just not going to vote. And that is why also some parties like Partito Democratico had a collapse. It's very different what happened in the centre-right, because usually in Italian elections, low turnout is made by moderate centre-right people who vote less than potentially. This time it was slightly different. This time people voted more. And the great success of Fratelli d'Italia is given by the fact not only that it was the only opposition party, but also the fact that the people voted more and the people centre-right decided to vote for Fratelli d'Italia, for leader Meloni. It's an internal shift of vote. We got many votes were lost from Forza Italia and the Lega, they went to Fratelli. So they remained inside the coalition. On the other hand, many votes that were lost, for instance, by Partito Democratico or Cinque Stelle, which was the rebellious party last election, they were lost with people not voting. So I think that is one big difference uh, compared to the past election, and it's very specific to this election. Instead of the boring professional communication of the good old traditional technically-led governments of Italy, uh, this time God, Nation and Family served as the theme of uh, Giorgia Meloni's campaign, which positioned her party as a mainstream conservative one. Plus, Fratelli d'Italia remained in opposition, as you mentioned, in the previous years. What do you think is the reason and driving force behind the centre-right's victory under Meloni's leadership? It's actually quite easy. The centre-right coalition formed a programme and this programme was liked. And the fact that Giorgia Meloni, despite a minor participation in a previous ministry of the youth many years ago, she's perceived a very new politician. So the novelty of the coalition led by her is to change things for the best. And both her and uh, Salvini and uh, Berlusconi, they were providing with concrete solutions. They were perceived as options that were very valid by the Italian population. Also, Italians in general are moderate, are right-wing. We are a population that is very different to other European populations, let's say the Nordics, for instance. We are a population that is uh, culturally very oriented to traditions and to maintaining our culture, our history. And therefore, we are a population that is quite right-wing, especially when we see 
in the outside world, lots of attacks that are trying to change the way we are, that are trying to change our ideals and values on family, on history, on our culture, on our literature, on our main pillars of our society. So this was seen as a threat by Italian citizens, and that is the main reason why Italians voted the centre-right. A main topic of the left campaign was not only about the international orientation of Italy towards Russia in the case of the Ukrainian war, which was not true at all, but they also put as a guilt the fact that many parties are friends of Fidesz in Hungary. It was really part of the propaganda of the Socialist Party in Italy that in many, many, many occasions was claiming that the friendship between Meloni and Salvini with Viktor Orban was something negative. In reality, they did us a favor. Because Italians, they feel much more closer to Hungary in the defense and the protection of certain values like family than to the United States of President Biden. So not the United States in general, but that United States portrayed by Biden, which is very, very different from the Italian ones. And it's also the United States democratic that is destroying part of a common culture that also has roots in Italy that made the US the way they are right now, because we had many migrants for centuries that went to the United States and created the incredible country that the United States are right now. So when we see that, we never had any problems with Hungary, especially as a population. The only problem with Hungarians, uh, citizens, is made by a certain part of politics that lost the Italian elections. Margarita, you said that the Italians are by nature culturally more traditionalists. Uh, still, there are historical leftist bastions like Florence, Bologna, Livorno and the, the central regions of the country in general. And the Democratic Party did not lose any votes compared to the previous election based on the election results. As already addressed, uh, before the ballot, the leader of the center-leftist bloc, Enrico Letta, ruled out any future collaboration with Giuseppe Conte's five-star movement, saying that the recent government crisis brought an irreversible break between the two political players. On the other hand, Mr. Conte accused Mr. Letta of being arrogant and hypocritical. Margarita, what future awaits for the leftist parties, the center and Movimento Cinque Stelle? First of all, I want to give a tip Never, never trust an Italian politician when he talks about coalitions and never, especially never trust a socialist Italian politician when he talks about coalitions. Because we saw before that they changed their minds millions of times. And even in the past, they had said never with the Cinque Stelle. And the Cinque Stelle said never with Partito Democratico. And then they formed the government. So it's, it's not something to be trustworthy. Uh, let's say yes, he said it. It's good to record it for the future. But who knows what they might do? For sure, the fact that uh, Partito Democratico decided not to get into a coalition uh, with the Cinque Stelle meant the biggest uh, loss. Because when you look at the votes, yes, it's important to look at the percentage, but it's extremely important to look at how many seats you win in the parliament. 
And the seats at Partito Democratico won were very, very few. And the seats that Cinque Stelle won, okay, there were not that many that did won, many seats in the South that were supposed to be won by the left. It kind of stole them from Partito Democratico. So if they were united, they would have had much more chance of having a, a bigger representation in the parliament. And at the same time, they have to deal with the center. Socialist Party decided to have first a coalition with the extreme left and the Greens. And then he tried to get into a coalition with the center parties that were coming from the left again. But those center-left party, they said no, because they did not want to get a coalition with the extreme left. So they had to pick a field. But this can recreate some coalitions in the future. Who knows? This election it did not happen. In the future, it might, or the center might look more into the right, because they might see that the power is going into the right direction, and then they follow the lead, let's say, of what is more convenient. Last thing I have to say is that because of the failure of the elections, the leader of Partito Socialista or Partito Democratico, so the Socialist Party, decided to step down. So he did not resign yet, but he said, I will bring the party to a Congress and then I resign. So basically resign, but he stays in power. This is extremely important because now in this very special moment, they are arguing over the future of the party. So there is uh, some rumors it might split and divide into two parties. There are rumors uh, also about who will be the next leader of the party and also if he will be more left-wing, if he will be more moderate, if he will be more uh, aligned with the Socialist Party in Europe. So there are lots of talks and discussions and debates, but once again, less on the programs and on the ideals and more on the people and of the factions of the party they have. So Italy still remains an extremely interesting country in terms of its unique political constellation. But that's one of the reasons we love it so much besides the culture and the natural beauties. Miss Margherita Saltini from Nazione Futura, thank you very much for sharing your most appreciated thoughts with us. I found this conversation outstandingly interesting and thought-provoking. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Grazie mille. Thank you again. And I hope uh, I brought some uh, light into the very complicated Italian politics. <laughs> indeed, indeed you did. Dear listeners, you've been following the latest edition of the Votes and Seats podcast of uh, the Center for Political Science of Matthias Corvinus Collegium on the 2022 early legislative election in Italy. Thank you for your kind attention. Stay tuned for the next episode of our series. Take care. Goodbye.